0: We are starting a new series called uh, Living a Mission. And um, what, we, what we do typically around this time uh, for church is that we uh, go over our mission statement. And if you have a worship bulletin, uh, you turn to the back of that thing and look, look in the back and you'll see our mission statement. And it says this, To reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father to restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son, and to respond to a move of the Spirit. And that is what we're about as a church. But what I want to do this time around is show you that, in fact, that's all of our mission. (laughs) That, That the church itself has a mission, Living Spring, and so the way we reach... Um, is we go out into the community. We don't see ourselves as just four walls that people come into. We go out. And the way we restore is through small groups and teaching and trying to model our lives after the scriptures. And the way we respond is when we hear of a need, we listen to the Spirit of God to see if, uh, that's something we should respond to. So what I wanted to do real quick was show you something I show pretty much every year, and it's how we divide people up and how we think about people. We don't label them, but we do have them in categories. Um, the first is the community. And the community, oh, that looks weird. Uh, it's like oblong. It's supposed to be a circle. Anyway, just go like that and it'll change. Um, the first is a community, and that is anybody we have any contact with. So for Living Spring the church our community are the are the houses all around us in Garden Grove and um, uh, you know people that I work with that you work with that just anybody so our community could actually be in your Belinda because you work there or live there and that's that's just the contact that you have so it's just Living Spring and the the extension of people that we come into contact with that is The community, the next is the crowd, and that's anyone who steps foot on this campus, or um, uh, you know, just knows about us and would come to an event. So, uh, just a little while ago, with our Toys for Tots program, uh, we had um, well over a thousand people come through our campus in order to get toys for Christmas. We we had six hundred kids get Christmas because of your generosity, uh, and, and but they would, be the, they would be the crowd. And the next one is the congregation, and that's anyone who'd be listening to a sermon or being part of our church. And so, for example, those who are watching on Facebook right now, they are part of the congregation, even though they're not here, they're, they're part of that. And so we have the congregation, and then we have the committed, and those are people who give financially to the church. Uh, they serve with the church, and they—they're um, maybe maybe they just—they're just here every single week, and uh, so that's our committed. And then we have the core. These are the core group of leaders that um, you know you, you you see at every event that are giving over and above their tithes and offerings. They're very committed and uh, uh, to the church in a way that is just that kind of real deep core that real deep commitment they're the people you can count on at any time and so well this all those c's uh come from uh, i stole that from saddleback uh, because i I like the way it looked but then we add ours to it because we always have to make things more complicated uh we see to reach those outer two bands to restore lives to healthy relationship in the sun. And then as we get more and more committed to the gospel and committed to life change, then we will respond to a move of God's spirit. So I'm always going to be trying to push you to into the next band. If you are part of the congregation, I want to get you committed. Not into an institution, but committed to the church, Right? If you're committed, I want to get you part of of the core of what's going on. Because I believe as you do that, that process brings you closer to God. So you could kind of put it this way. We want to take someone from a first-time visitor. So if you're here for the first time, I'm telling you I have an agenda for you. It's to take you from a first-time visitor to a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And that's our mission statement. That's what it looks like. That's how it plays out. So what I want to do is talk about reach this morning. Now when I say reach, there's all sorts of ways we can reach. Um, For some of you, it's sharing your faith, which might make you break out into hives and you get nervous and all those things. But it's just the idea that my life is not just about me. It's also about others. And that the way Christ has radically transformed me, radically empowers me, I want to share that with other people. And so I want to show you two little diagrams. One is this one. And this is typically in the church, historically, this is how we've divided people up. You were either in or you were out. So you were either in the church and you were part of the church or you were of the world. Or you were, and so, um, and you, you've probably been around long enough and have heard enough stories of many churches who have that type of mentality. You're either in or you're out. If you're, you're either a Christian or you're not. You're either living, walking with the Lord or you're not. This in or out thing. So, bless you. So, there, so, um, so that's it. So, these people are in and these people are out, and then there's like one guy who's like on the fence or whatever, and he, he's just right. He doesn't know where, what he's doing. So, uh, but that's, that's historically how we've done it. You, ha- you, you, you had to be a member to be part of the church body. Here's how I like to look at life. With Jesus at the center, Jesus is the key to Everything. Your theology may be a little bit off. It might be different. Like I said, we're a free Methodist church. We have what they call a Wesleyan theology, okay? Or you might be Presbyterian. You would have more of a Calvin theology. Jesus is the center of it all. And so what I, the way I look at things is this way. What is your trajectory towards Jesus? Where are you headed? <laughs> because if you notice, one of these people, uh, they're really close to Jesus, but they're headed in the wrong direction, right? You've, I don't know if you've ever met those people. I've been that person before. Really close to Jesus, but I'm, 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 there, there's things in my life or thought patterns or what have you that are just headed in the wrong direction. Or you might be far from Jesus, but you're, you're starting to turn towards him. What, what I want to talk about this morning is said our job to reach is not to convince, it's not to force someone into a decision, it's to turn them a little closer towards Jesus so that as they're on their journey, they can really get to know him. They can actually come into relationship with him. They can actually become like him. Because once you make that commitment, and you say, Lord, I, I want you to be Lord of my life. I, 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 just forgive me of my sin. I, I'm ready for a change. That's what we call conversion. But then there's this process called sanctification, called becoming holy, where you start to align your life to where Jesus is. And that is a journey. It's a process. For some people, they make that commitment to follow Christ and their, their journey, you know, if Jesus is right here, their journey is kind of like, you know, but, but their trajectory is getting closer and closer and closer. Here's my point for this morning, and then we'll show in the scriptures where I get all this stuff from. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you will need to adjust your life. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you're in a boat and you're far away from an island. You're going to have to keep making corrections because as you get closer, you know, if you just stay on one course, you're going to most likely miss the island. You've got to keep adjusting. Life is all about making these adjustments. That's really what sanctification is. It's the process of going, you know what? I was doing it like this, but now the Holy Spirit is nudging me to go uh, in, a, in a different, in a different direct, direction. And you've probably experienced this in your life where you know you've been going on along and you think everything's fine and you just realize you know what this is not the right direction for my life well the more you become like christ because that is the goal is to become like christ christian just means little christ the more you become a disciple of him that your movements your attitudes your uh, responses to things model christ the less you'll have to adjust your life i found this in my life, in almost every single area. The more I spend money like Christ would spend money, the less adjustments I have to make with my money. (laughs) The more I react to people the way Christ reacts to people, the less I need to worry about how I'm reacting to people. The more I serve rather than trying to always be served and consume, the less I have to change being served. Does that make sense? So that's the goal. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to show you someone who went through this process of reaching and I want to show you uh, hopefully through her life that it models how we then reach. What's happened is uh, Jesus was invited to a dinner. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now let me just explain how that works. Um, right now, if, you, if I were invited to your house for dinner, um, we'd sit at the table most likely. But back then, the table was actually much closer to the floor and you would lie on the floor on a, on a um, cushion and so your, your, your feet would be like heading away from the table table and then your head and your arm you'd rest on your arm or you'd and 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 you'd sit at the table that way you'd kind of like lie at the table or like it says here recline at the table so he wasn't in a lazy boy okay he was just reclining on on this on this thing that's that's one thing to understand the other thing to understand in this culture that if a man of prominence or a public figure were invited to the pharisee's house and he showed up there would be Word would spread, and they would actually open all the doors and windows so that people could watch what was taking place because they'd most likely be dialoguing about something. And so it was a big event. So people were actually invited, but they weren't invited inside. That was a no-no. They were just invited to... to there was kind of like this... this sura- they could, they could surround, surround it and listen in, and then they could talk about what was going on. So what happens next... Is shocking. <laughs> what happens next is totally different. We are watching someone change their direction towards Christ right before our eyes. This woman who we're going to see, we don't know her name, and she never says a word. And yet she was reaching. <laughs> she was, by the, by, the, by the way she demonstrated how she was adjusting her life towards Jesus, She was reaching others for the same thing. Watch what happens. So they're reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So, and I always always like those words in the Bible, because then I like to stop and think, what would I do if I were living a sinful life and I found out that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house? Let me just tell you. It would say, so... John went the opposite direction out of town okay all right or or or, or you know uh, he found out that Jesus was eating with the Pharisees so John said hey hi give me a place to hide I don't want to I don't want to be there that is the worst place in that culture for her to be first of all she's a woman second of all there's a high chance that she was a prostitute we don't know from this text uh, and the other texts that talk about um, a woman anointing Jesus' feet with a uh, perfume uh, seem to be a different, a different time. So this, is a, this seems to be a unique experience. So here's what she does. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. This is expensive perfume. Now, here's, here's the reality of it. If, in fact, she was... Uh, engaged in prostitution for whatever reason, uh, in that culture you wouldn't dress scantily. That isn't the way you would you would go about your craft if in that particular culture. The way the way you would show somebody that that's the profession you were in was this type of perfume. There was an aroma that kind of sent out the signal. So the signal was not necessarily visual like it is in our day today. It was. Um, with the nose. I was going to say oratory, but that's not. Olfactory. There we go. It was like some olfactory. No. Um, uh, yeah, just spewing. No, okay, sorry. Uh, and so that's, that's what you would do. So that, that fragrance would be the thing that tips everybody off. She shows up with this stuff. It's expensive. Watch what she does. And she sit, stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She is fully confronted with her sinfulness, with the Savior that saves her from her sinfulness. She is right there. She is as close to Jesus, closer to Jesus than you and I can ever, ever be in the flesh. She is there at his feet. And she's weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. Now, again, just so we kind of are clear into the culture, she wasn't even allowed to show her hair. And yet, there she is in this really, really uncomfortable setting. And yet, because she knows her sin. She knows her life, and she's ready to turn and follow Jesus. She says, I don't care. I need to realign my life with his. And so there she is, almost as if she's shutting out everybody else. She wipes uh, them with her hair. She kisses them, and she pours the perfume on them. This perfume that was once used to say, I'm available, is now being used to say, I'm ready to accept Christ. I'm ready to change. I was contemplating about this this week. And just the vision I feel like God had given me as I was just going back and forth on it. And this text doesn't say this. But I, I like following it through. I, I like to read the Bible as though, hey, what did, what happened the next day what happened with the perfume where was it did jesus put it in his pocket like i i'm sorry it's just the way i go but here's the thing i do know everywhere jesus walked for the next day or so he smelled like perfume right now i don't know if that annoyed him or not but think about this and this is what really got me let's say that was a struggle of yours visiting prostitutes And you smell that perfume. And instead of it being a prostitute, an empty way to fulfill your needs, something that doesn't satisfy, something that doesn't work, you see Jesus. And I was just thinking to myself, man, what if we all lived lives where all that we had to do was to reach was to live a life in such a way That as we encounter people who are trying to get meaning and purpose outside of Jesus, they look at us and they say, you know what, how are you doing that? And they see Jesus instead. And so he he pours perfume on them and, and now Jesus smells like a prostitute apparently. When the Pharisee, this is why we're talking about this, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet. See, this was an uncomfortable setting. This was very uncomfortable. Jesus really, in that culture, had no business allowing this woman to even touch him with their purity laws. And he he allows this. And so the Pharisee, while we're going to judge him in a second, really shouldn't be judged. Because he's only following what he's been taught since the time he was a little whippersnapper. Hebrew whippersnapper, right? Right? He just, this was the truth. You don't allow unclean people to touch clean people. And Jesus was supposed to be clean. And if he were a prophet, he goes on, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she's a sinner. Now, irony of all ironies, (laughs) guess what the Pharisee was? A sinner. Guess who you are? sinners guess who your pastor is oh he's holy he's just <laughs> righteous uh, he's a sinner right so so this is the thing this is the in who's in and who's out model she's a sinner she's out don't touch her don't look at her you don't even talk to her we're in you can come sit at the table and, and now the, here's the here's the ironic thing the pharisee is trying to figure out now is jesus in or is he out Jesus, <laughs> is God in or is he out? Now, here's the, here's the, so far, the writer of this book, Luke, his name's Luke, um, he hasn't given us any names. He said a certain Pharisee, this woman, we never know her name. And so we're just getting what, what's going on in his, in, in his mind. Now, the funny thing is, uh, it doesn't say this in the text, but um, uh He, the Pharisee, the Pharisee, uh, only thinks this. He says to himself, and so this man, who's who's now unclean and probably isn't a prophet, just read your mind. Okay, so Jesus looks at him and says, "This Simon," he calls him by name. Now again, this is just how I read the Bible. I think those who aren't getting it right, I think Jesus loves them. I I don't know how he said this, okay? I don't know if he just, you know, if it were me, I would have been like, Simon, why are you thinking that, dude? And then I would have turned to everybody. Hey, everybody, guess what Simon was thinking, you know, or something like that. I think he just went, Simon, and kind of got a grin on his face. And then he says this, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, um, I have two times in my life been rebuked by God, like I, I heard him speak, like not as a booming voice, most of the time when I hear God speak, it sounds exactly like my wife, um, <laughs> and he's usually, he's usually right, so I listen to him when he does that, Okay. But this, this wasn't one of those times. One of them was when I was in my late 20s, and I told this story. I was uh, helping teach a Wesleyan theology class uh, at Azusa Pacific this weekend, and um, I shared this story about how my theology was really um, a, an expression of who I was, and I needed the safety of that theology. I, it wasn't necessarily cor- correct theology. But it, what it produced in me was arrogance and, and sarcasm, which are two of the gifts of the Spirit, and um, no, they're not, okay, and my life to Christ, I had, I had, I had uh, been in small groups, I'd done everything, and he said, you don't know me, and you know what was incredible, it was such a gentle rebuke, it was almost like, oh man, all that work, all that stuff, and you don't, you don't even know me, and it, so it was an invitation. The second time I heard this very similar thing was not too much too long ago. Um, and yes, I was your pastor at the time, uh, so you can run for the hills. Um, was he, Almost in the same way, he just said, you don't, you don't trust me. And the journey of sanctification, okay? This is what he's saying to him. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, and this is so funny to me because Jesus could have just said, you're an idiot, okay? And he would have been correct. Or don't, don't judge people, dude. You're a sinner too. Come on, stop it. He could have. But he starts off like this. And any time Jesus begins to tell you something in a parable, you're probably in trouble. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii the other 50. So to kind of get the, um, you know, the, the two figures into our context, 500 denarii would be about 20 months worth of pay. So take your salary, you know, $275,000, and, uh, and, and, and like, you know, divide by 12, multiply by 20, and that's how much you owe this king. Um, in the same way, uh, the other was 50. So a denarius is just basically a day's pay. So just take, 50 would be a month and a half. Just take that. What is a month and a half of your pay? And that's what you owed somebody. Now, here's the thing we think in turn was neither one of them could pay them back and in this particular culture if you didn't pay them back you went to prison or you became their slave that's what happened you would either pay it off in slave labor um, and that wasn't essentially slave labor because you were were paying down a debt once the debt was gone you could be gone too but uh, but so one owed a lot and one owed a little but neither could pay so he forgave the debt of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one with the bigger debt forgiven. <laughs> Simon's a smart one, okay? Because you can imagine if somebody pays off your credit card, maybe it has a 2,500 bucks on it, or they pay off your mortgage, you're, you're going to be sending that person your Christmas card every year for sure. All right, like the the bigger the debt. He goes on, he says, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Watch what he does. Then he turned toward the woman. I wonder what was going on in her mind. You know what, I don't even think she saw him turn. I think she was still just a wreck. I think her hair was over her head. She was just... She was listening, for sure. But Jesus asks a question that I really want you to leave here today asking yourself. It's a very important question. Because when we talk about reaching, when we talk about living our lives in such a way that we represent Jesus, and then we can share that love of Christ with others, this particular question that Jesus is about to ask is the first question you need to ask yourself. And as we've seen, this woman didn't say a word, and she she doesn't for the rest of the story. Spoiler alert, right? We don't even know her name. And yet by her actions, she is turning everybody's attention towards Jesus. Sometimes our best evangelism is done with our mouths shut and our hands and our bodies and our... Our minds alert, just trying to do our best to live like Jesus would live. But here's the question Jesus asked. Do you see this woman? Again, I don't know how Jesus asked this question, and I might be projecting too much of my own way of how I hear Jesus into it. But like, I just see him going, do you like seriously, we're talking about who's a sinner and who's not. Look at her; she's broken. She, she's, she's trying to turn things around. Do you do you see her? And here, here's the question I was asking myself: Who am I around all the time that I don't even see? Maybe I've labeled them a certain way. Oh, and I know, I know what they're gonna say. I know what they're gonna. I know what they're thinking. No, no, I don't. I don't know what they're going to say or what they're thinking. Do I even see him? Do I even see a person created in the image of our Heavenly Father? What do I see? Or do I see a, a status? Do I see a, a problem? Do I see them for who they were or what direction they're going on? Do I even see him? I, I, wrote, I wrote it this way. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Then he goes on and he kind of he reads in the riot act a little bit. I mean, you're looking at this, this situation where you know, you've got a Pharisee who knows everything and is living a holy life according to the way Pharisees lived holy lives. And you have this woman whose sin is out, outside. You can, you can see it. And I'm here to tell you, I have been outwardly, at different times of my life, outwardly pure as the driven snow. Inside, unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, anger. You're right? like, <laughs> it's not right now, okay? So that's okay. You guys are like, oh my, we've got to get out of here. Right? We, don't know, we don't know if Simon is a good person or a bad person. We don't know what's going on in his heart. We don't know what his thoughts are, but Jesus does. And he goes on, he says, when you, uh, he says you did not give me a kiss. In that culture, that's how you'd greet one another, with a kiss. It says in the Bible, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm glad we stopped that, um, just because I don't want people kissing me. But that's, well, I, that's not entirely true, but... Uh, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. This was another custom. Don't put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. Now watch what he does. This, is, this would have shocked everybody. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus turns to her oh it's just so sweet and he says your sins are forgiven can you imagine what she must have felt like she takes this huge risk it's a risk socially right it's a risk financially it's a risk spiritually what if in fact he wasn't god what if he wasn't the messiah risk 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 and he turns to her and says you're forgiven let me just tell you friends for some of you, coming to Christ is a huge risk and you know it. You know it's going to cost you some friends. You know it's going to cost you a lifestyle. You know it's going to cost you some things that you've grown accustomed to and you just cannot imagine your life without. He's totally worth the risk. Totally worth the risk. And it's our job for those of us in this room who know that to demonstrate a life that shows that if I know that he's worth the risk I need to show that and that might be the best evangelism I've ever done in my life I might have had all the the points to make to people and showed them this and that and all these big fancy words or what have you my best witness my best way to reach is going to be to show what Jesus is actually doing to transform my life well, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Well, I'll tell you who it is. It's God in the flesh. And you want to know anything about God? Look at Jesus. This is how, this is the nature of God in Jesus Christ. So Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Then he ends with this. Go in peace. Man. Let me tell you. This is God's vision for your life. Is that we would get rid of all the stuff that bogs us down. That we'd get rid of the things that we run to. That we'd just get our focus on Jesus. And the result is peace. And so... What I want to do at this time, um, we don't typically do this, but I, there's someone who's not going in peace, I'll tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> uh, as Ajua comes up, is going to come up and read a poem that she writes, every, you got one? Yeah, okay, that she does every week uh, while I'm preaching. And then she's going to sing a song called, um, I Found My Voice, that she wrote. And that's just a song that talks about finding that voice. And when we had been talking about this last week, uh, this, this was the, the goal for us, is that we wanted you to begin to look around your life. And do you see the people around? And then what, what is your voice in that situation? Is it an actual voice? is it just to display humility is it is it maybe maybe it's not your voice maybe it's your voice is to actually not use it right to have people be reached for jesus but my other thing i wanted to do this morning was give you an opportunity if you've never even begun that journey and again it's a crazy journey it's 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 you know, you, you, you give up some stuff in your life and then you realize that there are some other things and you're like, oh man, what? And then, you know, and you're, you're always adjusting. And the Lord is completely at peace with your journey. But for some of you, you may never have made that decision to say, okay, you know what? Like that woman, I know I've, I know I've made mistakes. I know I don't measure up. I know I've had sin in my life. I know that my life hasn't looked exactly like Jesus. I I get all that. But today, I'm ready to start. Today, I'm ready to start completely clean. Today, I'm ready to hear from Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Today, I'm ready to start that journey. And so what I want us to do is, I want us all to close our eyes and bow our heads. Because this is a personal thing between us and God. And... Part of this process does involve risk. There's the risk of being uncomfortable. There's the risk of life change. There's the risk of uh, closed and our heads bowed. You might have made this declaration before in your life, and you're just saying, you know what? I'm ready to do this again. I'm ready for a fresh start. Or maybe you've never never done that. And I'm going to lead us all in a prayer afterwards. But maybe you've never done that. And you say, you know, for the first time, I'm going to start following him. I'm going to ask him to forgive me of my sin. And I'm going to start following him. If you're in either one of those camps, would you raise your hand and just look up at me? I, I, I want to make sure I pray for someone. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Oh, that's a lot of courage. Thank you very much. You can put your hands down. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to lead us in a prayer. All all of us who are willing to pray this prayer. Um, And so for me, I've probably prayed this prayer (laughs) 20 times. It's just a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of salvation, but I'm saved every day by my Heavenly Father through Jesus. And so what I'll do is I'll just start with a phrase and then you guys can repeat after me and we'll just work through this prayer piece by piece. And again, you might be a Christian for 40 years and you want to join us in this. You're you're welcome to. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for saving me. Forgive me of my past. I accept your sacrifice. I want to give my life to you today and follow you for the rest of my life with your strength. In your name, amen. For those of you who prayed that prayer as Jesus would look out, your sins are forgiven because of what he did on the cross. The prayer, while powerful and meaningful, is not the power of what happens. It's the blood of Christ.